All right, so today we're continuing our eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. Uh, we are in element 7N of the, uh, of the eight elements. And so, uh, however, in 7, uh, 7 is all about the, five, the, the pattern of five first steps in entering the kingdom of Christ. And what we're going to be doing is actually doing a mini-series on step three, which is what we're doing now, baptizing the Holy Spirit. When we're done with that, we will do a mini-series on the subject of deliverance from demonic spirits and healing. And that will be, uh, that is step four, but we'll also just call that a, the uh, probably deliverance and healing series or something like that. That's something that we've known for some time that God wants to do more of in our church. We mostly do deliverance after preparing people with counseling and, and reading and so forth in small teams. I do believe that it's someday God is going to have us go a little more public, you might say, and even have maybe a radio show and talk about deliverance and help Christians. Because not many Christians, there are a lot of Christians who know they have demonic problems who don't know where to go to get help. because most churches try to ignore that area. And so uh, I think that will be an area of ministry for us eventually when we have 30 or 40 people trained to know how to do it. And uh, so anyway, uh, back to... Then, and then we will do a series on step five, which is basically entering a New Testament way of life with daily spiritual disciplines individually and sharing our life uh, daily corporately. So those will all be little mini series within element seven. So right now we're running coterminously with element, element seven, a bap, the baptizing the Holy Spirit series. We're kind of expanding it from the four we did it once. In fact, today we're on chapter 12, and some of the chapters have had an A, B, and C. So uh, chapter 11 had an A, B, and C, and we did not finish it. There will be a chapter 11D, but I did want to jump ahead since this is Pentecost Sunday to us talking a little bit about Pentecost today. So today we're going to talk about the promise fulfilled, uh, five biblical patterns from five biblical examples, and specifically with Pentecost, the, the promise arrives in power. So if you'll jump down to Roman numeral three on your outline, you'll see that Roman numerals 1 and 2 kind of give us a little bit about where we've been. If you're not familiar with what the five first steps of entering the kingdom of Christ are, it's something we highly recommend memorizing and, more importantly, making sure you've worked that list in your life. Making sure I've taken all those five steps. This is my lifestyle as a Christian because that's really what Christians did in the Bible the first week they became a Christian. There are no examples in the book of Acts of people not encountering all five of those steps within the first week of their conversion. In America, we sometimes have people 20, 30, 40 years old in the Lord who don't even know some of those steps exist. So uh, that's unfortunate because all of those steps are means of grace. They're delivery systems of grace. That, uh, that grace is always involved in experiencing Jesus Christ more. He is the full realization of grace and truth. Grace is always relational. But grace comes to us through what you know, historically was known as the means of grace, which I like to call the delivery systems of grace. We've 
also called them the vehicles of grace, the channels of grace, and the tools of grace over the years. And so um, the second uh, means of grace, we talk about the word, the spirit, and the church. And getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and getting a greater release of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is a starting stepping stone into a life of being filled and filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. What God ultimately desires is that your temperament, your way of life, your countenance, the spiritual atmosphere around you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and represent the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in you all the time. And that would be your way of life. So, in getting this initial experience called being baptized in the Spirit is an important step in that process. So, now, so let's get into this. Uh, the promise fulfilled. In, at Pentecost, the promise arrived in power at about 9 o'clock in the morning, as Tony has pointed out. All right, so um, I just wanted to go over briefly that in two places at, uh, in the in ministry of Jesus, at the Last Supper, in John's account of the Last Supper, and on Ascension Thursday, last Sunday we, we uh, celebrated Ascension Sunday, uh, it in many ancient traditions, they celebrated Ascension Thursday because Jesus ascended on a Thursday. And uh, over time, most churches today just celebrate Ascension Sunday so they don't have to add another uh, you know, day of worship and, and teaching and celebration together as a church. But uh, last week, uh, John taught on that nicely. And so uh, I want to mention that in the, at the Last Supper, we've been over this many times, in the Synoptic Gospels, they focus on Jesus giving us the Eucharist, the communion meal, the Last Supper. Uh, we, they focus on uh, Jesus' prediction that Judas would betray him, and Jesus' prediction that Peter would deny him and be restored, because he even says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brethren. So, uh, isn't that amazing that God knows you're going to be forgiven and restored before you even sin? <laughs> He's providential. If you really start understanding the providence of God, you eventually get to the point where after you fall down the steps, you go, thank God that step's over with. <laughs> What's next? All right, so, uh can only get better from here, right? So, um, I don't want to, I have actually thought, I ended up having a lot of trouble putting this message together because it's always the hardest thing is limiting the material. I think at some point, you know, in, in the essential elements of the uh, biblical Christian gospel series, when we did element five, which was Christology, Jesus Christ is the only way, mediator, bridge, solution, that kind of thing. We spent 30 weeks on that and one or, or so of those weeks, maybe even two or three was on continuationism, that Jesus' presence and ministry continues among us by the Holy Spirit. And that his ministry will always be the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. However, I kind of realized that uh, we should probably go through John 13 through 16 and just exegete the whole thing a little bit more, or at least uh, maybe more than one-third of the verses in it, just so we can get better 
more clear context. I, I decided I couldn't really do that today and get through Acts 2. So I just had a couple highlights. John 14, but I need you to understand the whole point of John 13 through 16 is that Jesus is saying, I'm about to go with the Father. When he says, I have many dwelling places for you in John 14, he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about there are many places in his household, in his family, in his ongoing building of Christian community, the family of God, the people of God in the earth. There are many places for you to fit in, serve, and so forth. Ultimately, that includes heaven. But it's much bigger than heaven. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Because as anyone who's ever tried to serve the Lord, which is probably most people in this room, knows, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That's why John 15, in the middle of this whole speech, he spends uh, verses 1 through 8 saying, abide in me, abide in me, because we can water and plant, but only God can cause the growth. If we don't abide in Christ, we cannot even bring forth dried up raisins, let alone, you know, juicy fruit, so to speak. And so, that's kind of the whole major thing. So let's just uh, hit a couple verses. John 14, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Isn't that a great thing? You know, pastors have a saying, uh, pride, money, and sex, they're like the poor. They're with you always. You know, every day you face certain temptations. Uh, you face people who wrong you. How gracious will you be and how quick to forgive? You face your own flesh and, and all of its ugliness, its pride and its selfish ambition and its lust and so forth. Every day you have ways to actually grow in your love for Christ. That's what trials are all about. They're about uh, admitting, you know, it actually is a great advantage to even think of it in terms of if you're a single brother in a single household or, or if you're uh, married or whatever. You know, part of what being, being in relationship is about is if you love those people you're in relationship, then you did your chores or you you know, agreed to certain worship and prayer times and you were early and ready and if and you went beyond like your chores and served and did some of their chores and and so forth. If you know if you're if you tell your wife you love her when you're first married, that's exciting. And but maybe a year or two from now she might say, Well then don't forget Wednesday nights are trash nights <laughs> or whatever. Or uh, if you love me, get a job, Max. No. Uh <laughs> You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. One of Catherine's favorite saints. No. Uh, <laughs> and I will ask the Father, and he will give another helper, that he may be with you forever. Notice the word another helper. Another implies there already was a helper. The other helper, that's, you know, I always try to get people to, to do my chores for me. So I'm always providing my wife with another helper. <laughs> I'd rather pay someone to do the chores than actually do them. But uh, so uh, Jesus is the first helper. And this is the context of all John 13 through 16. Jesus has been among them, and he's still going to be among them in the same way by this other helper. 
that he may be with us forever, not just while the apostles are alive. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Understand that it's not just about continuing his ministry because you can't do that without his continued presence. Okay, so he's saying, I will come to you. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll be with you by this other helper. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. The world can't see Christ, except insofar as you are spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, moving in gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit. They are the closest. You are, when you're going through the, you know, cereal aisle at Kroger, you are the closest to seeing Jesus that they're ever going to see. By the way you drive, by, uh, and the, the courtesy thereof, and... Uh, Road rage is just uh, children with driver's license. Children are very immediate, and they got to have their way, and they got to have it now because they have no perspective and therefore no grace. So, um, I will not leave you as orphans. You'll no longer see me. The world won't see me, but you'll see me. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And what I was getting after with the marriage and the single brothers and maybe uh, your children and so forth, this is really important. This is the, the 1 Corinthians 15 says, first the natural, then the spiritual. One of the best ways you can grow in your love for God is actually let, ask God to make that practical and real for the Jesus in the least of our brethren. So how you love Jesus is how you love the guys you live with or your spouse or your kids or whatever. And if you can kind of always remind yourself of that, you'll really grow in your love for God. You know, 1 John 3 says that uh, how can we, you know, say we love God when we hate our brother? I, when everyone says someone, someone's really spiritual and they're in love with God, I always say, well, who are they in spiritual with? You know, because you can't love God without one another. So, he who has my commandments, and by the way, I, I didn't have time for all this, but he, several times in these passages, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's my commandment. All right, so, uh, the one who has my commandments is the one who loves me, and he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest or disclose myself to him. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and manifest our presence in their life. Make our abode with them. Not a revival, an abode. I always, people tell a revivalist, well, I'm an abodist. <laughs> Not a Buddhist, an abodist. Like what we want is an increasing growing in grace and power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst week after week, year after year, until this is a mighty temple filled with the glory of God. 
Then he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I said to you. John 15, uh, I wish I could read the whole context there, but I can't. Uh, when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father. Notice, by the way, uh, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father. So there's the whole, in, in, the, in the Nicene Creed, there's the, I guess you say it, philoloquy? Philo, 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 how do you pronounce that? Filioque and uh, clause. Uh, which the East doesn't go along with the phrase and the Son, but he proceeds from the Father and the Son. This verse here says that he comes from the Son. I will send him to you. Uh, seven times it uses the phrase baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Six times it says that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, the helper whom the Holy Spirit will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Oh, then I, jumping down, when, whom I... When the Helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you will also testify or bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Acts 5.31 talks about the Holy Spirit who, who God gives to everyone who obeys him, bearing witness as the apostles also bore witness. Okay, so <clears throat> John 16 Jesus says a lot more about the Holy Spirit because he's about to go to be with the Father. Okay, so this, this speech is actually given 51 days before Pentecost. Or 50 days, actually, from Pentecost. You know, Pentecost means 50, and Passover is 50 days to Pentecost. Okay, so he's doing this quite intentionally at, at uh, Passover, because he's saying that I'm going to fulfill the true meaning of Pentecost. At Pentecost, Moses brought down the law from Sinai to, to make covenant with the people, and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to write his law and, and his ways upon our hearts. When you are actively filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, many people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but don't necessarily stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't necessarily live a life powered, empowered by the Spirit. Don't necessarily live led by the Holy Spirit. Many Christians are led by lots of other kinds of spirits at times. But when you are being led by the Holy Spirit, the law of God is written on your heart in an ultimate sense. And you desire to do it, and you're empowered to do it. All right, then, um, 40 days later, at Ascension Thursday, Jesus commands the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for this phrase again, the promise of the Father. Now, later in this series on the baptism in the Spirit, we're going to do a whole teaching on the phrase, the promise of the Father. But God's promises begin in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, and they carry through all of Scripture and they all come culminate in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ pouring his spirit out on all his people to receive the promise of God in a, in a greater way than had ever been received before. So the scripture is not being contradictory when it says the prophets prophesied over Saul and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and changed into another man and prophesied. But then in John 7 it says the Holy Spirit had not yet come. We're going to look at all what that means in a, in a teaching all about the phrase, the promise. The phrase, the promise, appears more than 20 times in the New Testament. I haven't counted them up, but I know it's more than 20. 
And it's one of the most important phrases in the Bible. And all of God's promises include the receiving of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, redemption, being made a new creation, and so forth. But they all have their apex in being filled and empowered to be led by the Spirit of God in the same way the Son of God was led by the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are his children, crying out, Daddy, Father. If you need more security, don't uh, just study uh, the modern spinoff from the great doctrine called the perseverance of the faith that the moderns have sort of twisted into a man-centered false thing called eternal security. But, <clears throat> but look at it from God's point of view. And as you receive the full gospel and as you're filled with God's spirit and so forth, you'll find that the Holy Spirit himself is the assurance you need. And he wants to always give you that. He wants to, you to be able to say with Paul that I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am uh, confident that he will guard that which I've entrusted to him. Do you know why I know I'm going to continue to be a Christian? Because God is greater than my sin nature, and he is a covenant-keeping God. And he will continue to cause me to be convicted, repentant, and bear fruit with my repentance, and be drawn back to him over and over and over again, despite my best rascally efforts to get away. <laughs> He's in charge here. All right, so Jesus tells uh, them to wait in Jerusalem. So, I behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. Again, we're going to look more at what that means, but that is a huge phrase in the Bible. And it specifically refers to the promise of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the ultimate promise that should happen at the beginning of your Christian walk, which so many Christians today have never heard of nor, nor experienced because of our uh, unbelieving culture in our natural-minded Christianity. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but you're to stay in the city, the city happened to be Jerusalem, until you're clothed with power. The Greek word there is dunamis, which we get our English words dynamic and dynamic, dynamite from. You're going to get a bomb, <laughs> you know, and uh, you're going to get something very dynamic. You're going to be a dynamo. And, uh, and that's going to come from on high. Now, Luke's version of the ascension in, chap in chapter 24, I wish I could have gotten in from all the way from verse 44 to 53, parallels his version in Acts 1 through 9. It covers all the same themes, repeats some of the terms, but doesn't tell it exactly the same word for word, although it means the same. So it you know, starts with it, Acts 1-1, that all Jesus began to do and teach. And by verse 3, that he presented himself alive for 40 days by many convincing proofs and so forth. And then in verse 4, just before he ascends, he tells them, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Don't get started on the Great Commission. A word we would be well to, to uh, pay attention more to. But to wait... And waiting in the Bible is never a passive thing. It's expectancy. It's seeking. 
but it's not going somewhere else. Like if you're supposed to wait, you know, it's like if you train a dog to sit, he still wants the little biscuit he's going to get, but he knows that it's defeating his purpose if he starts to get up and go for the biscuit, that if he waits expectantly, he'll attain, right? So Jesus is saying, don't go off in, in a bunch of activity. I know so many Christians who do worship music and Bible teachings and Bible studies and evangelism who aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything till you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit first. As soon as you come to Christ. Now, God in his mercy, because the church is always need, re, you know, being restored and needs to be renewed and so forth, reformed and being reformed. Because of that, many you know people are in ministry doing this and that and so and, and at times having fruit and god in his graciousness might bring you to a place where you just dried up and uh you know you may get you may end up waiting in jerusalem till you receive power from on high and not according to the biblical timing and pattern but thank god that he brings us to that point even though we went off uh, long before we should. I, I am not saying that people who are off doing ministry that are not baptized in the Spirit are consciously in rebellion of, with God, but they're actually in rebellion against God without knowing it. Actually. That doesn't necessarily mean they have rebellion in their spirit. That just means they have blindness about some important things in their spirit. Very big difference. Uh, Wait for what the promise, uh, for the promise of the Father. Uh, I kind of mixed uh, NESB and ESV there. Uh, which he said, you heard of from me. For, that's a very important word, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even in the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, whenever... You find the word for or the word therefore, or some translations will say as a result or because of. Find out what it's there for. The therefore or the for is therefore to restate what it just stated. You know, I might, Sidney was very tired last night for he was out on the dance floor for two hours getting aerobic exercise. <laughs> You know, so uh, I'm just saying the same thing, clarifying what I said before. So that four is a very important thing because it's basically saying that John, would, that uh, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now is the exact same thing as receiving the promise. That's the clear meaning of verse four and five if you look at all the words together. Receiving the promise of the Father is redefined as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, quite clearly because of that connector word for. We're going to see that as a very important word also in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, uh, later in this part of the series as we go through five examples of people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's very important. Let's flip over and try to get into the day of Pentecost a little. Now, what I want to do is actually kind of tip my hand in advance and say, 
I think there are patterns in Scripture. We all know that by now. We teach and teach and teach on that. And that in the Scripture, there are five things that you can discern as a pattern if you study the words carefully that happen when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the only book that gives us you know, there's, that's why there's actually a doctrine today. There's our doctrines of demons among great Bible-believing fundamentalist Christians, unfortunately, who say, well, you can't take any ideas or doctrine or theology from the book of Acts. <laughs> now, there's even the hardcore people actually say, well, you can only take anything from Paul. It's called Pauline dispensationalism. It's kind of craziness. But um, the fact is... That's exactly backwards. Our, our God is a God who created history. He dwells in eternity. And he, this is a book of history. And all histories have a selection process. What the Bible has selected to cover is God's eternal decrees and purposes to bring his kingdom to all the earth so that the, so that the same sanctuary that heaven is of his glory becomes what the whole earth is filled with, and he's going to do that by calling the people unto himself and by making them his temple until they fill the whole earth with his glory. That's what the Bible is mainly about. He's here to take over. You can surrender now or later. Every knee will bow. You might as well get in on it early. So... Uh, we can turn some of these into questions. The first one is when people get a greater release of the Spirit, is it a distinct and separate experience from the new birth? Because you clearly get regenerated, you clearly get the Holy Spirit when you're regenerated. Okay? Is it a subsequent experience? That's one thing we want to look for. Because what we're claiming is that it is a second experience. And after that, that is a stepping stone to having third, fourth, fifth, and 175th experiences with being filled with the Holy Spirit per week. All right. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the outward initial evidence of the inward reality is it speaking in tongues. We're going to look at a couple points of view on that eventually in this series. Thirdly, does it normally follow shortly after conversion from a few moments to a few days, or is it years later? Now, one of the reasons that's important is because if it's normally after conversion, that clearly means that having a degree of Christian maturity is not a prerequisite. And because the Holy Spirit is a means of God's grace, God would no longer with no more withhold it from, the, from a young believer than he would say to you, when you finally get serious about reading your Bible, then I'm going to let you have a Bible. <laughs> but until you prove that to me that you're serious. So even like when John wanted to learn to play the guitar when he was, I don't know, eight or something, uh, you know, I went out and got him a cheap $100 guitar and <laughs> It was electric with an amplifier that hummed. It was pretty bad, especially in relation to the, you know, this culture. It's all, you know, like peer pressure and friends. His friends had much better guitars. And I said, you know what? If you 
because he, I couldn't say this unless he had at least a guitar, right? I said, if you show me you're going to stay with this and uh, so forth, um, you know, I'll get you a better guitar. And over the years, I got him a better guitar two or three times until finally I also raised him to uh, be productive and make money and so forth. So I finally said, you know, you need to buy a tailor for the church's sake. <laughs> and he goes, my pastor is telling me I have to buy a tailor? Okay, I like that. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> But we didn't withhold a guitar from him, you know, until he got serious playing. Because how could he? How could we? How could he get serious about playing if he didn't have a guitar? Likewise, uh, that's an important issue. Does it happen right after conversion? Fourthly, is there an atmosphere of spiritual impartation there where God is giving expectancies? And we're going to look at two ways God does that in the five patterns. But they have a common denominator that God himself gave the people the desire and the expectancy to have a greater encounter with the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, we'll look at the fact that uh, there are additional, additional biblical manifestations that fo follow. In other words, whether speaking in tongues is the evidence or not, these other things are clearly going to happen if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Other ex power experiences, other gifts, other results and fruits. Notice on 5a there, one of those is testing. Jesus was led into the wilderness as we saw Jesus' pattern. God has that pattern for you because he will take you to a place uh, in, where you're broken in such a way that you're leaning on his power and you're no longer leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways, you're acknowledging him, that you're actually not even willing to accept your own fleshly thoughts or your own demonic thoughts or whatever because You've just learned that unless the thoughts are coming from Scripture and the Holy Spirit, they don't have any reality in them. So I'm not going to even bother fellowshipping with them. I'm not interested in my perspective. Because then there's only death there. Now, example one, unfortunately for time, I don't know that we can read the first 17 verses which uh, mentioned that it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Tony's already filled us in on that, so let's move on. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. That was the first miracle. Everybody showed up. <laughs> the, of the whole 120 people mentioned in Acts 1.15, they were all there. If that ever happens, you know, it is kind of interesting that when we have more people at 9.30, there's greater anointing on the worship. There really is. And when we have less people who are late and less people who miss the Lord's day, uh, there is some kind of a corporate anointing because we're in this together as one body. I'm so glad my Aunt Mary taught me. I was at a funeral this week with my Aunt Mary. Got the privilege of driving her here and there and Toledo and Napoleon and Holgate and different Liberty Center and places like that. Uh, and... Uh, she taught me that the most important thing in life is being there and showing up. You know, never miss a funeral, never miss a wedding, never miss a graduation. Never. What's that? <laughs> Did I say wedding? Well, it was a funeral I was at earlier this weekend, a wedding yesterday. 
Uh, although yesterday I had a theme of a funeral in my message. But uh, in any case, um, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them, that was the first air conditioning, there appeared to them tongues of fire disturbing themselves, and they rested on each other, rested on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not a few of them, not just the spiritual ones. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, some translations say enabled them or gave them ability to speak. That's what that means. Now, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And it lists 17 total nations. You'll probably count 16 if you count them, but that's because you've got to remember that these were Israelites. That's 17. And 17 is, is a representative number of all the nations of the world because this is the first foretaste of, of the promise that in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. So, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking the gospel of the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the cessationist translation. We hear them speaking the mighty deeds of God. Now, because our God is a God of history, true praise involves gospel elements. It recounts what God has done. But they weren't primarily preaching the gospel. They were primarily worshiping the Lord. And as we're going to see later, it, speaking in tongues is primarily a, a language of prayer and praise. It was never used to proclaim and expand the gospel. Although there are testimonies and have been throughout church history of someone speaking in tongues in, in the language that someone else already understood, and that being a great sign to them, as it was to these people, this was a sign they recognized of the 120 people speaking in tongues, I've never heard two prayer languages the same. I think there was 120 languages being spoken, but I believe the audience recognized 17 languages among the 120 that were being spoken because Paul tells us in Acts 13, 1, that they're the languages of men and of angels. They're languages of past civilizations, present civilizations, future civilizations, they're the language of spiritual beings called angels. To God, there are an infinite number of languages. Right? Now, so let's uh, try to whip through our five points. We, probably, we won't be able to get into Acts 2, 37 through 47. But in a sense, this Pentecost thing first happens to these 120. Uh, then Peter preaches his great Pentecost sermon, which you can get a very good... Uh, summary of that, if you go back all the way through our podcast under Sermons of the Week to the very first podcast, you list, can listen to John uh, kind of exposit, expository teaching, exegeting a little bit, Acts 2, 14 or 16 through 36, which is uh, basically Peter's day of Pentecost showing that the entire Old Testament is about Christ and that Christ is both Messiah and Emmanuel, God with us. So, at the end of it, uh, they're all convicted and say, what must we do? We're not going to be able to get there, so let's just go through what happened in Acts 2, 1 through 17. First of all, is it a distinct and separate experience from the new birth? Boy, do not have time to develop all this. Um, probably should have asked if I could do both messages today so I could 
stay on this Pentecost theme, but I'm sure John has a Pentecost theme as well. Um, one, you know, there's some debate legitimately about when the disciples were born again. Some people have the theology that Old Testament people were saved by works and New Testament people are saved by faith. And so uh, they could not be saved until John 20 when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit after he appeared to them on Easter evening. Uh, I do not have that theology. I believe all Old Testament Christians were saved by faith in the promises of God in a Messiah that they believed in but didn't know yet. And so... Uh, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, quoted in Romans 4 and other places, Galatians, etc. So um, what I think is that the disciples were converted when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and they chose to do so. And I actually think they already had God in their life when they grew up in the synagogues and when they became disciples of John the Baptist because they were obeying and following God's present word among his people. And it's just that as Christ came along, their vision was clarified, and they said, wow, John was talking about this guy. And this, and this guy, who was Jesus, and this guy invited them to, to follow. And they said, John, we love you very much, but we're going to go with this Jesus guy. And he said, well, he must increase, I must decrease. A man can receive nothing unless it comes to him from heaven. Now, he said that in the context of the Pharisees trying to get him upset by saying they're Jesus' disciples were baptizing more, but he, he had that attitude and probably said it many times. So uh, I'm just saying that it's very clear, no matter what your theology of conversion is, that all 120 of these people were already converted before the day of Pentecost. They, you know, to me, the sign of being really converted is that you're doing what God says, and he told them to wait in Jerusalem, and it says in Acts 1 that every day they were in the upper room praying, all 120 of them expecting whatever it was that Jesus told them to expect. So, secondly, is the outward initial evidence of the inner reality? In this case, it's clear that they all spoke in tongues. In translations that say just other languages in this trying to infer that they spoke, you know, the Greek word glossolalia, they spoke in the tongues of men and of angels. Uh, now, there's no, no other examples in the New Testament of a mighty wind or tongues of fire. However, there have been many such in history. If you want an interesting book, read Mel Tari's a book from the 70s about the great outpouring of God in Indonesia when, Pete, when they would... Uh, see tongues of fire on the churches and so forth. And many of the recipients of the power of the Holy Spirit walked from island to island across the water to spread this message without a boat because they were too poor to have boats. So I don't think a mighty wind is a, is a pattern, but I also don't think it's just uh, only happens once. It happens happens whenever God wants to. Point three is it doesn't normally follow shortly after conversion. This is not really something you can obtain a pattern from because this is the first outpouring of Pentecost. It does happen 10 days, and that's the most period of time, as we'll see, that anyone waited, 10 days after Jesus ascended when he told them to wait for the promise of the Father. 
Number four, is there a spiritual atmosphere of impartation? Jesus taught them. In, that's why we covered John's uh, Passover supper and his message just before he ascended in Luke and Acts 1. And he told them to wait expectantly. For you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you're going to receive dynamite. To be my witnesses, not just to witness, but to be witnesses. And the Greek word actually, the verb tense would actually best be translated to be becoming, to always be becoming his witnesses. Um, so, um, where were we? So, uh, spiritual atmosphere of impartation, they believed it enough that they were praying every day. I would dare say if we had a prayer meeting every day asking God to pour his spirit out and everybody come, came and nobody missed and so forth, he, uh, I think we could expect some pretty awesome results. It's one of the reasons we have uh, more prayer meetings in the summer and actually starting uh, this week we're going to have Sam Chen Poon and then eventually when Deanna gets back, her leading Tuesday night and Thursday night prayer meetings. And I'm hoping they'll have Monday and Wednesday nights as well. Stay tuned for more details. Because, you know, a lot of the results that the Lord gives us is a result of, of those two- and three-hour prayer meetings that 5, 10, 20 people came to. What if they even grew in the number of people coming and seeking God? It would be even if you came once a week. But if everybody came once a week... Uh, there would be some amazing results. And specifically praying that God would pour out his spirit at Wright State, at Ponitz, in your neighborhood where you work, at the Bible study you started in the cafeteria at your job. All right, lastly, additional biblical manifestations, testing brokenness. The first result is they're accused of being drunk. And as Tony said, their defense was, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early to get drunk. What, isn't that a great defense? <laughs> then you're taught in sales, when your customer has an objection, don't ignore it and scoot the issue. Hit it, hit it quickly, and move on to the positive points. So Peter just said, well, we're not drunk as you suppose, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But what this is, <laughs> he, uh, and he hadn't even read any sales manuals. What do you know? Um, so... You know, they're right away accused of being drunkards. They, are, uh, they know that Jesus was just arrested and killed. They, they up till now, were cowering. And, and Peter stands up and proclaims the kingdom of God and the lordship of Christ, and then he's Messiah the, and king and uh, God with us and all of this in front of thousands of people. We know that because 3,000 responded favorably. Was there possibly people in the audience who did not? Probably. Maybe there were, you know, the temple guards, the Pharisees, etc. And maybe they couldn't stop anything for the same reason they couldn't stop Jesus. When 3,000 people are in favor, they didn't have the manpower to stop, and stop that. They had to say, well, let's hope we can deal with this later, which they increasingly tried to do throughout the book of Acts. So, boldness for witnessing is obviously there. 
increased zeal and passion for God is obviously there. And you talk about fruit. I've never had 3,000 people respond favorably to my, meeting, to my message. I think I've had three sometimes. But, uh, you know, and uh, usually most people respond negatively. But uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's break and come back as soon as we can. But, you know, today, today is a great day in the history of the church. And I would encourage you, if you have not had the initial experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, get to someone on our leadership team. Obviously, the people who've taken more people through it have more anointing and experience with taking people through it. But we're trying to multiply the number of people who are, are good at doing that and, uh, and have them take you through uh, the, the teachings on it and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a great provision of God for you. Amen.